Hi, Julie. Hey, Lisa. How are you? I'm doing well. Happy February. Happy February. Happy Heart Month. Happy Black History Month. And happy yesterday was (laughs) Groundhog Day. Which I thought was just like, it's been the whole year. It's been Groundhog Day. (laughs) The same thing over and over again. Absolutely. I don't know if you uh, heard my joke. I said, literally, this happened to me on Groundhog Day. I had to tell someone in a Zoom meeting that they were on mute. And I was like, (laughs) celebrating Groundhog Day, truly 2021 Groundhog Day, by doing the same thing we do every day. You're on mute. Appropriate. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I've been saying the whole year feels like Groundhog Day. But yes, happy February. Happy February. I was going to say also yesterday was um, celebration of women in sport. Um, so I, I mean, what, what better way for us to celebrate than to uh, go for a run, uh, coach our clients, and last night uh, do our weekly Zoom meeting with our Run Farther and Faster clients and, and group. So it's always nice to connect with our runners in a casual setting. And even though we can't be together personally, it's so special to be able to connect with everyone each week. I really appreciate those um, meetings we have. Yeah, I've come to look forward to them. Like you said, we haven't been able to run in person or have group runs or do our our programs in person. So those those Wednesday night calls have been a really nice chance, even if it's just um, you know chit chatting with each other and catching up and answering questions or sharing information. It's a great chance to to see each other. So um, although I'm still looking forward to when we can actually get back out and see each other. For sure. So this week we have a really great episode. Um, because it's Heart Health Month, we wanted to focus the first episode of February on heart health. So we had the opportunity to interview two incredible women. And uh, the first woman we interviewed is a cardiac, former cardiac patient. And Lisa, why don't you talk a little bit about Karen and her story? Yeah, Karen, it's actually interesting. I um, have known Karen, not, we actually, I don't think our paths had crossed and we haven't seen each other, but um, she worked as the assistant manager at True Body, which was a, a really nice gym that was um, open here, unfortunately, a, 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 a victim of, of the pandemic and has now closed, but she was the assistant manager there. So I used to get emails from her, just administrative emails. And so I knew her name and um, you know I knew her face. Uh, and we, you know, when we were looking to interview, we wanted to interview somebody uh, who had gone through a, somebody athletic with an athletic background who had gone through um, a heart heart disease and, and cardiac rehab. We reached out to Jean Marie Gallagher, who is the manager of cardiac rehab at Suburban Hospital, which is part of Johns Hopkins here in the Bethesda area. And we asked her, do you, you know, anybody, um, we knew Jean Marie, first of all, should back up but, um, through Rod Vieira who we interviewed in 2019 on our podcast. Um, Rod had a, had a heart attack and then um, decided to, to take up running and, and get into um, running. Um, but we were looking for somebody who maybe was athletic and then had a heart, heart condition, a heart, um, you know, heart episode and have to go through cardiac rehab. And Jean Marie recommended uh, we reach out to Karen and I said, oh, I recognize Karen's name, but I didn't know her story. And her story is actually really remarkable. We'll get into it with her. Um, but she had a very unexpected um, uh, aortic uh, aneurysm, um, very unexpected middle of, you know, in her 40s, three young kids, um, active teaching yoga classes, 
and um, and and had to go through rehab and come back from that. So we had reached out to Jean Marie and Jean Marie put us in touch with Karen. And uh, like I said, her story is really, really remarkable and a lot of lessons um, for uh, maybe people who've had heart surgery or have had to ha have, you know, have heart disease, but also um, people who have not. Yeah, I think it's also a lesson for anyone who's experienced any kind of setback. Certainly as runners, we all have experienced physical setbacks and mental setbacks, and this episode covers both. So for those listening that may say, I don't know if I can take this one, this one's heavy, it's actually a very inspiring, uplifting story. And I think there's a lot of takeaways from Karen's experience that we can apply, um, even if we've had the fortune of not experiencing what Karen experienced. At the same time, we touch a little bit on this and, and the whole reason we really wanted to do this type of episode the first part of the month because we want people to recognize that even though we're all fit everyone listening to this podcast is either a runner or is i would imagine physically active enough to be interested in a running podcast sometimes we can't outrun our genetics sometimes we can't outrun other habits even though most of our habits are healthy so our big push in this episode, if there's one thing, one takeaway is that go to the doctor because there's things we can't see. And no matter, no matter what, no matter how hard we try, no matter what we're doing with our lives to make good decisions for our health, if we don't go to the doctor, we won't know exactly what's going on. And the best way to ascertain your risk and to best understand what's going on is, is to get screened and, and go get a physical. And if your doctor sees something, they'll refer you. And for those who hate going to the doctor, and, and there are statistics out there that show that a lot of women in particular do not like going to the doctor because they hate being weighed. Tell your doctor you don't want to be weighed. Who cares? Um, or don't look at the scale, you know? <laughs> but that's one of the statistics. And of course, based on that statistic or uh, anecdotal to that statistic is another statistic, and that is that heart disease is the number one killer of women and men. It's a silent killer, and often the, the symptoms are not necessarily obvious at first. Some of the symptoms for men and women that aren't as obvious include jaw pain, or they include some numbness, or they include intense fatigue. Sometimes these symptoms would never indicate that you're having a heart event. And in Karen's case, she'll describe what she felt. And it certainly, to me, when she described her symptoms, when it happened, it wasn't indicative of a heart event um, initially. Yeah, yeah, it's um, you know, hers was really unexpected and and hers was more genetic, something that she really couldn't didn't have any pre-warning signs until immediately before her 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 episode which she'll talk about. Um but I think that's a really important point Julie and I think during the pandemic a lot of us have been putting off doctors appointments. Um you know, I know I just realized I've got to make my dentist appointment because I had put that off, but um I did go in for my physical this year, but I think a lot of us have been putting off um medical appointments for a number of reasons we're nervous about going into medical offices, we're got a lot of other things on our plate, you know, especially, you know, you mentioned women are hesitant to go into the doctor and I didn't realize that, that that was a particular reason. I just thought we're just so busy taking care of everyone else a lot that we're making their appointments and making sure they're getting to the doctors and we're not getting ourselves to the doctors. So um, that's a, a really important point. And following Karen, we talked to Jean Marie, um, who sees all of these patients coming through rehab. She's been there for many years and she's gets the privilege um, and honor of really walking these patients through the, the whole rehab process and seeing then their their recovery and then their subsequent 
success in life. And um, she has a lot of really important advice and insight too on, on why she's seeing patients that are coming in that are now um, younger. Uh, and that's really due to stress. And we've all been under a tremendous amount of stress this last year, even if we think that we're handling it well and we're leaning into the pandemic lifestyle and enjoying being sheltered in place, you know, not going places. And some of us are are feeling like we're, you know, we're we're handling it just fine. There's a lot of underlying stress, and that stress has has um, impact on our bodies. And we've talked about this a lot about how it impacts our running and how we feel with our running. It's it's really um, wrecking havoc on our bodies from the inside, and we may not be able to see it or necessarily feel it early on. So getting into that doctor's appointment this year at the end of this now almost approaching a year going into the pandemic is really particularly important. Absolutely. And Jean Marie brought something else up in her interview that I thought was interesting. She was talking about some of the typical cardiac patients that come in for rehab and some of them are lifelong athletes who are now older. And she said this is they're seeing a new trend because um, people who started running, let's say in the 1980s are now reaching a point where they're having cardiac events and they have a lot of uh, athletic history behind them, a lot of running mileage. And she brought up the point that, you know, we're not sure how much training is too much training. When can it be beneficial to your heart? And when can it start to be a detriment to your heart? And I know there were, we talked about this, there were a few articles and um, published studies and one article in particular in the New York Times last year that talked about, you know, is running too much too much mileage dangerous to your heart? When is too much too much? But, you know, it goes back to everything train wisely. And just like Jean Marie was saying in her interview, just like we can overtrain our bodies, we can overtrain our hearts. And that's where it's really important to look at your training, which we hope everyone is doing who listens to our podcast. I know we talk about this so much, but be smart with your training. And if you're ever not sure if you're doing too much, you know, this, it's a good time to get a coach. It's a good time to get a third party, whether formally a coach or just someone to look at your training and see what you're doing, check out your mileage and listen to your resting heart rate. Check that out, monitor that because that's a really good indication of whether you're overtraining as well as of course your sleep and your fatigue levels and all the other things that we look for with overtraining. But running is great. Running is wonderful. We love running. <laughs> it's our passion. And as long as like anything else, make sure that you never want to do too much of a good thing. So we're here to support your goals. For those of you who know us, we you know that we really try to structure training in a way that's meaningful. And at the same time, we believe that it's always better to be active. So listening to what Jean Marie said, we just wanted to uh, elaborate on that a little bit and just talk about that. It's sort of the same thing as overtraining. We want to make sure that we train smart. Yeah. And like you said, listen to your body and go get checked out by the doctor. So if you're, you know, worried about the effect that running may have on your heart, if you're, if you're an endurance athlete, that's been really training high mileage for many, many years, um, just, go get checked out by the doctor. So, um, you know, find a good doctor. I, we've talked about this before. Ideally, a doctor that understands runners uh, and understands what we're doing and what we're passionate about. But, you know, just take care of yourself and balance. Balance is really um, so important of, of balancing those rest days and, um, you know, good sleep and rest and, uh, and, and taking care of your mental health. So um, that's, that's, you know, just the bottom line is taking care of ourselves. And sometimes it's hard to do that when we're in the middle of a pandemic and so much is going on and we've got a lot on our minds. So 
um, yeah. But um, but speaking of uh, of you know taking care of ourselves and being proactive of our on our on our own health, uh, we just had our um, first series of our two part webinar series running through menopause, and we should add and beyond. Menopause itself is not just the period of time when you're feeling the symptoms at their height, and maybe you know the year or two that you're going through that um, the highest point of those of those symptoms, but menopause is as soon as you're in menopause, you are in menopause for the rest of your life. So we talk about running through menopause. Um, we had some people say, well, I'm already past menopause. Is this applicable to me? You're, you're still in menopause. You're just, you know, you're after you're post the, the height of the, of the symptoms that you may have had. So just something we wanted to clarify that this is for everybody pre-menopause, during menopause and quote unquote, you know, after menopause. And we had um, almost 300 people sign up for our webinar. And we had a really wonderful conversation with Dr. Toby Beckerman of Beckerman Women's Health and Rachel Miller, ProAction Physical Therapy. Um, and we had just, we the feedback has been really tremendous and we've opened registration for the part two. Part two is gonna focus on nutrition because it's a really big, um, you know, a lot of the questions people have, women have about uh, managing their training and, um, uh, you know, staying on top of, of all of the, the symptoms that might come with menopause um, is nutrition. And so we are having Amy Goldsmith from Kindred Nutrition, who is a registered dietitian, um, come on to the second part of this uh, webinar, along with Kelly Redmond, who's a personal trainer who our runners know very well, does a lot of our runner strength training and mobility training for them. Um, and they will be on part two. And um, Dr. Beckerman is going to come back on and answer some questions at the end. Um, but registration is open. Uh, we have it on our social media site. Uh, we have the link up on our website and, um, and it is free. So um, February 28th, 7 p.m. Eastern time uh, and open to anyone. So please make sure you register. We'll put the link in the show notes too. Yeah, thanks for um, bringing that up. I think it's also important to note that even if this is not applicable to you specifically, if you're a coach, or if you aren't formally a coach, but you work with a lot of runners um, who are in this stage of life, it's really great information to better understand how to structure training. So um, it is specifically geared toward runners and athletes. And um, I know I learned a lot from Dr. Beckerman and I, I know you did as well, Lisa. It's, it was very enlightening. I thought her information was really great because she's an integrative gynecologist and has a very holistic approach. And I just really appreciated the information that she provided, a lot of which I did not personally know. In spite of really trying to educate myself, I, I thought what she said was really compelling. And, and as you mentioned, we had a lot of feedback from others who I'm sure also read a lot that felt that the information she provided was really interesting and new to them. Yeah, it all just comes back to that knowledge is power and, and being, taking control of your of your health and and. Um, finding the right doctors to follow up with. So, you know, same same message we've got today with heart health, um, taking care of yourself and, and just um, being proactive about gathering that knowledge. Yeah, so we're just a fun group today. <laughs> this is not as heavy as an episode as we sound like it is, but it's all really important information. And, and like we mentioned earlier, we hope that anyone listening finds uh, Karen's story to be uplifting and um, inspirational. We certainly did. So Lisa, I hope that you have a great week. You too, Julie. Bye. Bye.
Hey listeners, are you enjoying our podcast and coaching advice? Do you feel like some guidance and accountability could help you stay motivated and focused during these uncertain pandemic times? We love connecting with our listeners and collaborating to make training work for your goals, your life, your personality. As a thank you for listening to our podcast, we want to offer any new clients $20 off the first month of coaching, which is normally $150. Email us at Julie and Lisa at runfartherandfaster.com to set up a time to connect over the phone to learn more. And be sure to mention this special offer as one of our loyal listeners. Welcome, Karen Bertozzi, to the Run Farther and Faster podcast. Thanks so much for joining us, Karen. Thank you for for having me. I'm very happy to be here. Well, I think it's a a small world story because we reached out to Jean-Marie Gallagher, who is the manager of cardiac rehab at Suburban Hospital here in the um, Metro Washington, D.C. area, and asked her, you know, so we told her we'd really love to talk to kind of an athletic female who had heart disease and had to go through cardiac rehab. And she gave us your name. And we actually know each other through True Body, um, right. which is a local, was a local gym that you were the assistant manager at. So we've exchanged emails and never really crossed paths there. But um, but as soon as she mentioned your name, I thought, I know her. And I <laughs> story, didn't know your story at all. And your story is really um, remarkable and one that we are excited to share uh, with our with our listeners, so so thanks for joining us. But before we get into your story, why don't you just give us a little background of who you are, your family, um, where you live? I am. I live also in the Greater Washington D.C. area. I've got three children, although they're slowly leaving the nest. So one has graduated college, one is in college, and one is about to graduate high school. So I've, I've moved into that next phase, which is amazing. Uh, and I'm working locally. I work for a, a neurosurgical group, so I'm, I have my foot still in medicine, um, working with them. My my history is I was a stay-at-home mom for many years, and dabbled in fitness because I had I was building on the athleticism that I had had as I was growing up, and um, you know just sort of coupled working in fitness with, with juggling my children. And then over time, really fitness ended up being, uh, you know, my career. Uh, but then with COVID, of course, there were a lot of challenges with gyms closing and, and all of that. So I had to reinvent myself as we often have to as women, especially, right. It's sort of another, a new season for me. So, um, but we've been healthy so far and I'm doing well and, and, um, I'm just happy to be here and happy to share my story and, and, you know, tell you a little bit more about my past and, and what brought me to you all. Well, we're really happy you're here too. Since we are a running podcast, um, share a little bit with us about your fitness journey, starting from, as you mentioned, when you were younger. Sure. So I grew up the youngest of four children. I have three older brothers, so you can imagine what that's like. Uh, I grew up in North Florida, so, you know, weather was never an issue for us. I was a swimmer up until my first year of college. I went to the University of Florida. Uh, I ran cross-country and track in high school. I did competitive gymnastics for about 10 years. I did dance, ballet, you know, sort of all of that. And then um, it really parlayed well as I matured and was developing a career and my children, you know, that I I, I would move into fitness um, just because it complemented sort of the goals I had as a parent and, and just filling the void and also just wanting to nurture myself and finding, you know, some self-care in there. So um, while I do consider that, you know, I, 
I grew up an athlete. Obviously, since my heart event, my measure of athleticism has shifted <laughs> quite a bit. So as it has for all of us. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. So tell us what your life looked like in, in October of 2014. What did, what did it look like and, and what, what happened to, to kind of change the trajectory of your life? Yeah, so I, uh, October 14th, it was only six years ago, and I was working, um, I was working mainly as a yoga instructor. I taught roughly 15 classes a week, multi-level classes all throughout the greater DC area. And many of us that work in fitness, you know, we end up hustling, right? You, you go wherever there's a, a, a class that's needed and coverage that's needed. Um, and I, I loved it. It was really, really, really a great compliment, as I said before, to my lifestyle and, and parenting goals that I had. I um, had just, um, it was a Thursday morning, and I actually had taught two yoga classes that morning. So, and I practiced as I teached. I didn't just walk the room. And they were, you know, sort of sweaty, athletic vinyasa classes. So a lot of up and down, a lot of movement, a lot of strength involved in the classes. And I went to a local um, supermarket, well, a, a local market to get sushi for lunch, like I did almost every Thursday. And I walked in and I knew I felt off. And I thought it was really uh, just a matter of maybe be, being dehydrated or having not eaten properly, you know. And, and again, my years as an athlete, I knew what it felt like and, and the right way to fuel my body. But I just felt like, you know, oh, I, I missed that window of eating. I thought it was sort of eating related. So I walked into the store and I thought, man, I, I'm, I'm going to faint. I'm going to need some help. And sure enough, I got down to the floor because I didn't want to fall and crack my head open. <clears throat> and I was able to get the attention of a gentleman who worked there and just said, you know, I, I don't feel well. I'm going to need some help. And down I went on the floor. So basically I fainted. Now, you know, people are always so interested in my story and it's a great story it's a scary story, but the ending for me anyway has worked out beautifully. I woke up four days later in the ICU at Suburban Hospital. I had my husband and my surgeon telling me that I had undergone a 12 hour emergent open heart surgery for an ascending aortic aneurysm with dissection. So your aorta uh, is sort of the plumbing of your heart, if you will. It comes off of your heart and basically delivers oxygenated blood to different organs in your body. So some people just, just, I say just with, you know, sort of air quotes, some people may have an aneurysm and oftentimes people think about brain aneurysms, but you can get them in your aorta and your aorta really runs from your carotid arteries kind of up into your neck all the way down uh, to the vessels that feed your kidneys. So kind of way down into your groin. And um, so that day I kind of had the perfect storm because not only was I having an aneurysm, which is like a... Um, a bulge that was going like think of a water balloon or a garden hose you know it's bulging 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 because of pressure uh near the point of rupture but i also had dissection so dissection happens your again like i said your aorta is like a garden tube a, a garden hose and it has three layers to it of tissue and when you dissect the tissues pull apart and so it disrupts your blood flow, right? So maybe you don't get enough blood to your brain. Maybe you don't get enough blood to your kidneys. Maybe you get too much blood in other organs. So both of the situations, the aortic aneurysm and the dissection can be fatal and, and really cause, even apart from dying, right? They can cause stroke and all kinds of just organ failure, really bad um, uh, situations in our bodies. 
but for some reason that day I had the perfect storm. I have I had both happening. So again, it was a 12-hour surgery. My aortic valve was repaired. My aortic arch, which is sort of the candy cane part, the top part of, of my aorta, was replaced with a Dacron graft. So it's a, a man-made material. So I have sort of a synthetic hose in there. And then uh, I went on to stay in the ICU at Suburban for 18 days. And you know, 18 days is a long time to be anywhere, right? <laughs> so 18 days in the ICU dealing with this, you know, incredible situation that all of a sudden you're looking down at your body and, and you've, you've just gone through open heart surgery <clears throat> and you learn more and more about your condition and you learn uh, how close you came to things not really turning out as, as well as they did for me. Uh, about two weeks post-op, I was still, I was still in the ICU and I was having pacing issues. My heart would either race way too high or drop way too low. And I remember uh, my surgeon came in with uh, a cardiologist and they, they told me they knew how to kind of get my pacing right. And they mentioned that I would need a pacemaker. <clears throat> and at that point, whatever it takes <laughs> to keep me well, you know, you do just kind of give it up to, to science and their expertise. So I have a dual lead pacemaker. So there's two wires that come off the pacemaker and sit into different chambers of my heart. Um, and I'm 100% paced. So every time my heart contracts, it's coming from this device, right? So wrap your head around that. <laughs> um, but you do get used to it. And I kind of consider it sort of my, my uh, special power, right? Uh, and then, yeah, after 18 days, I was sent home. I was not released to cardiac rehab until about 10 weeks after that, which is really an extended amount of time. So <clears throat> the aneurysm they were able to cut out and replace with the synthetic graft that I mentioned. The dissection oftentimes is medically managed. So they just put you on you know, a ton of medication. When I left the hospital, I was on 16 prescribed medications uh, and they just kind of wait for scar tissue to kind of build in and, and create the proper channels for the blood to flow. And um, so finally I was released to cardiac rehab. And uh, I remember very distinctly my surgeon telling me, okay, you know, we want you to go twice a week. And I was begging with him to please, can I go every day? Please, 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 right? And he agreed and um, the rest is kind of history. So uh, <clears throat> I do have uh, restrictions on me and um, so there is a, you know, I've had to navigate sort of a new way to, to, to still kind of touch base and, and, and feel what I used to feel as an athlete, but, you know, obviously I have to keep it super safe now as well. What are your restrictions? Are they um, with respect to your heart rate or high intensity? What, what, what are those? So my parameters and, and every heart patient is different. So, um, you know, if there's any heart patients listening, you know, just be sure to talk to your own doctor about what your restrictions are. So my heart rate, I'm supposed to not let it go above 150. The biggest thing for me is isometric pressure. So I have to avoid it. So I could actually train for the Boston Marathon if I wanted to, right? Because your respiration is different, your, your blood pressure is different, uh, but I can't do a plank. I'm not supposed to hold a plank. So that just think of it, you know, you're clutching, you're gripping, you're holding. Oftentimes there's some breath holding that's going on. It builds isometric pressure and I have to avoid that. 
That is so ironic, given that your primary sport at the time that this happened, of course, is yoga. And and so much of yoga involves that type of movement. So how I want to go back and ask you a few questions about your story. But since we're on this particular topic, how did you make in your mind that adjustment as well as your body so that you continue doing the practice that you love? Well, I think when you know, I I know when you go through an event like I went through, uh, you get to a place in your head where you you will play with whatever rules they give you. You know, if they say, all I can do is walk around the block three times a day, I'm going to walk around the block three times a day, right? But if they can tell me, uh, you know, that I can sort of have larger goals, then I'll I'll shoot for those as well. Um, It does take a long time to kind of build that confidence again. Uh, There's always fear, right, that it's going to happen again. Um, And it's not only fear that that I have as the patient, but of course my family, right? There's, there's a whole layer of people are constantly, constantly saying, you know, don't lift that. Don't do that. You're not supposed to do that. You're not supposed to do that. So it's, it's a big emotional challenge also. Yeah. How hard was that for you um, as somebody who was an athlete and who was teaching lots of fitness classes? How hard was that for you? And how did you do this? How did you kind of come to grips with, and I, you know, you mentioned like really you every little thing you get, you appreciate, but how did you really reframe, um, your, your life in, in, with your new restrictions and, and realizing now you're, you know, you had this whole, you know, event that is going to dictate the rest of your life. How did you, hard. We think about runners who get injured and may not be able to run again. How do you then go on from that? I mean, I'm, I think even six years later, I'm still, you know, looking at that and, and just still formulating what that looks like for me and what the rules are and what the parameters are. You know, I, I was uh, somebody who sort of had all of the boxes checked going into this, right? I had been exposed to a lot of fitness. Um, I was a younger woman. I had never had any high cholesterol. My diet was very clean. Um, I never had high blood pressure. So again, that's the part of it that I think is scary for a lot of people because I had all the boxes checked. And one thing I haven't had a chance to talk to um, share with you yet is what was discovered is that I have some type of connective tissue disorder. So there's only about six or so that are named. Uh, Fortunately, because we live here in the Washington DC area, I had access to Johns Hopkins in Baltimore where I underwent very extensive genetic testing. And what's interesting about my story is um, two months after my event, my three older brothers were all scanned and they were all walking around with aneurysms as well. And so my event really was sort of a Pandora's box. You know, it was really a wake up call for our family. And um, so, and a, and a connective tissue can manifest, manifest itself in a lot of different ways, right? So, um, you know, in terms of reframing my fitness, you know, I will admit there was a time where fitness was really about how I looked on the outside. I think we all as women went through that stage, whether it was, you know, after a baby, right, getting back into shape or certainly in, in college and high school, right, you're kind of after it for a certain look. Um, but certainly as I was in my mid-40s and had this major life event, it was really more about trying to keep fit because of what's happening inside, you know, inside. I don't really care what my waist looks like or my thighs look like. Like those days are kind of beyond me now. It's really more about my heart rate, my blood pressure, you know, like it's really, really more important to me what's happening inside. So I think that was the biggest shift. 
And, and again, you know, when you have such a scary event that just comes out of nowhere, uh, and I am a bit of a rule player. So, you know, whatever they told me I was going to play by those rules, I'm not um, one to really kind of push, you know, to, to push that boundary. Um, and I think I just learned, uh, one thing I did learn as I worked in fitness still, uh, so not only was I a yoga teacher at the time, but I also had moved into working, um, as Lisa mentioned, uh, managing a gym in, in, in the DC area. And I was also involved and exposed to cycling classes. I was exposed to hit classes, that kind of thing. And I'm able to do all that. Like a cycling class, I can do no problem no problem. And I can challenge myself in it. So for me, that ended up being sort of my big sweat, you know, my big sweat factor. And the other thing is, you know, a lot of the medications I was on, I'm not really on as many as I was, but they affect you, right? They affect statins, affect how your legs feel, your joints feel, everything shifts. And uh, so it's a big adjustment. So running really hasn't been anything that I, I've really been able to do in a long time, except for short periods of time, like in a, in a hit class or something like that. But I would say the biggest shift back to answering your question is that it really ends up being more about what's happening on the inside and not about what I'm, what's, you know, what's going on on the outside. And you mentioned a few minutes ago about the Pandora's box. And I would imagine because you realized that what the condition that you have, can you, can you tell us what that's called? The connective tissue Right. So it's a connective tissue disorder. We don't know what it's called. That's what's interesting okay. about it. Yeah. So there's only about six or so that are identified. Those are things like Marfan's or Ehlers-Danlos or Loewy-Dietz syndrome. I don't know that you all would know that. Um, but the testing for our family, we kind of end up in this nebulous world where there's not a name for it yet. So okay. genetic testing is ongoing. And then maybe we'll get a name for it. Once you get a name for it, then you can test the next generation next generation of kids in the family, almost like the BRCA gene, right? You know, if you carry it, then you can have your daughters tested for it. Right now, we know that we have something going on, but we don't really have a way to identify what that marker is and, and um, you know, find it in the next generation of kids. So for you, that's the challenge. And I would imagine because of your role as a mother and because by virtue of you being a mom, you set the tone in your family. And you said that you had to sort of reframe what was happening and, and do what you can and be grateful for what you, you can do instead of thinking about what you cannot. I would imagine that was especially challenging, but at the same time, I would imagine as mom myself, you had no choice because you had to model that behavior, not only for your kids, but also for your, your siblings who also yeah. potentially were impacted. Right. So on the one hand, that's a good thing because it puts you in a place where you are tasked with something. But I would imagine on the other hand, it led to a lot of emotions that you carried in addition to the traditional emotions that we often hear about post-cardiac um, event, which includes depression and anxiety. So could you talk to us for a few minutes about how you were able to work through that? And um, I would imagine fitness played a big part in it, but what were some of the other things that you did to work through that time period? Right. And yes, there, there is uh, a lot of anxiety, a lot of depression around a cardiac event. I mean, it's proven there's, there's, you know, studies that you can access and learn more about men and women both uh, really struggle with it. 
And for somebody like me, whose event really came out of seemingly nowhere, there's also a PTSD component, right? I mean, it just, you know, it just turned everything upside down and backwards. And it is a roller coaster of emotions because, you know, I remember very, very distinctly being back in the hospital for those 18 days. And you kind of go through these days of, um, you know, my body betrayed me after all the work I had put into it, after all the conscious decisions I had made to feed it well and nurture it and grow it. And, and uh, you know, you kind of have the sense of that your body betrayed you, right? It kind of lets you down. But then you go totally on the other side and you realize that maybe I, I fared so well through my event because I was so healthy. Right. So that it's a roller coaster up and down, up and down, up and down. You know, my body failed me. Well, no, it didn't because I didn't have a stroke. I'm sitting here in front of you. I still have all my organs. Everything's functioning beautifully. And, and I have all my faculties. So that that is quite a trip. Right. To, to kind of go up and down uh, through that. And then, um, you know, the other part in terms of coming out of something like this, it, it really I. I have volunteered with a lot of heart patients. Of course, now with COVID, I I can't really get to them, which I really miss um, supporting heart patients and their families in person. But your recovery after something like this is not just sort of a straight trajectory. You know, you have a good day and you think, okay, I've rounded the bend and and the next day is going to be a good day, but it's not. I mean, something comes and and you just hit, hit a wall again. So it's very much maybe like running, right? You know, you have a good day and then before you know it, the bear's on your back and you've hit a wall and you can't move your legs. So, you know, maybe my my sports training kind of prepared me for this as well, mentally, right? I mean, who knows? But I think healing from an event like this, um, you, it, it, again, it's an up and a down. It's not a trajectory. You there's There are no guarantees. A good day is not always followed by a better day right? A good day could be followed by a crappy day. You could hit rock bottom again. And um, I went through that. So, uh, you know, that that's some of the emotional part behind it, you know, and then you're very cognizant that um, people around you are nervous, right? Your husband, your children, your mother, your friends, everyone's nervous, right? Should she be doing that? Is it okay? Oh my gosh, she looks tired. <laughs> she needs to go lay down. Like, all of that, you, you sense that. And it's also interesting um, it, it being a mother and, and uh, you know, and being a yoga teacher and being an athlete and an instructor, you know, I was very used to giving, giving, giving. And now all, all of a sudden I was in this position where I had to receive, you know, I had to receive help with my kids. I had to receive all the prayers that people in my community were sending to me, all the love and light that my yoga students were sending to me, all the meals that were coming to me, all the emails, all the notes, like to receive all of that is really, really overwhelming. I mean, it's beautiful. Don't get me wrong. It gets you through a lot. But man, if you're a giver, and I imagine you guys are, because that's what we do. I don't know how old your children are, but I mean... Certainly, if one of my friends fell sick, I'd be the first one at the door with a meal, right? I'd be the first one. But it is a lot to receive all of that. And um, I mean, that's that's just, I guess, a little bit, you know, the insight to kind of what people are thinking. And I think as a heart patient, and I think it's kind of similar to uh, cancer survivors and cancer patients. You know, your the anxiety builds as your next scan comes around. 
right? At this point, I'm scanned. I have a major scan looking at all my vessels and my arteries just once a year at this point. But um, I do see my cardiologist and, and get a pacemaker check every three months or so. But you are always thinking, uh, this isn't going to end well. This isn't going to be a good scan. This is not, you know, so I think it's very, my, we kind of, um, we lost my dad to cancer. So I understand what that feels like and looks like. But I think you're always, especially as your doctor's appointments are coming around, the anxiety is starting to build again, right? Like, I know they're going to find something wrong this time. And, and what if, and what if, and what if, right? You can really go down that path. Um, but that does get better as time passes, right? And, and uh, you just have to temper that, just like anything for you guys too, you know? You just have to temper it, especially with COVID now, right? I mean, we're all challenged every day with the possibility of being ill. So yeah. welcome to the club. <laughs> Karen, you, you mentioned, you know, having to receive, but um, you also alluded to earlier giving back and, and you've really done that um, you know, since your event and your your surgery and through your recovery, you've really now um, given back into the community. And one of the ways is through Mended Hearts, which is, I think you alluded to earlier, reaching out to, um, you know, heart surgery patients and helping them through the process and probably sharing a lot of the experience you just shared with us of the natural ebbs and flows. And we always like to say progress isn't linear. And that sounds like, you know, the same experience that you're having. So tell us a little bit about um, Mended Hearts and then also the program that you've started with Suburban um, bringing yoga into, into the cardiac rehab program. Yeah. So when I was a patient uh, at Suburban, you know, for those almost three weeks, you know, your family kind of has to visit you, right? <laughs> they kind of have to be there. But there's, there was this one gentleman, an older man, his name was John, I'll never forget him. He came to visit me every day, every day. And he had had his heart surgery, like, I think even 15 years prior. And he was my little cheerleader. You can do this, you can do this, you can do this. And it really just was amazing because you, like I said, you do have sort of the requisite team members, your, your providers, your surgeons, your families, your priests, your ministers, whatever, cheering you on, telling you can do this. But for a complete stranger to step in and say, look, I've been through this before. My life has been very full since. Um, it's really inspiring. Very, very inspiring. And so John, again, he was probably in his 80s when he would visit me. He would kind of, you know, shuffle down the hall into my room. But he was dedicated to me. He came every day, every day, and told me, I can do this, I got this, look forward, don't look behind, and go. And uh, it just left an amazing impression on me, right, that this old man was taking this interest in me, and it was just really special. And I knew that I wanted to do that. And plus, I, I did feel, maybe it's all my sort of yoga studies that I've done uh, throughout the years, but I knew how important it was to give back, right, to keep my karma in balance, because God forbid, if something happens again, I want to make sure my karma is intact. But um I jumped right into the program. It was already established at Suburban Hospital. And Lisa, as you mentioned, it is called Mended Hearts. So it's a, a national organization. It's been around about 60 years or so, I think. And it's all about heart-to-heart -heart patient support and also heart-to-family uh, support. So I would visit heart patients and their families in the ICU and in the cath lab at Suburban uh, several times a week. I have, I, I live very close to suburban and plus I was doing cardiac rehab there every day. So everything just kind of gelled and I was able to spend a lot of time with heart patients there. And, you know, it, it's really different for 
you to say to me, oh, you got this. But when somebody sees my scar and right, and I, I know how they feel. I know how it feels to have chest tubes in. I know how it feels to be on certain medications and it makes a difference. It really makes a difference. And I do think um, oftentimes it's more helpful for the family because I think coming right out of surgery, being in the ICU, oftentimes the patients are so sedated. They don't really get it. I mean, weeks later they get it because I, I reach out to them with emails and texting and really have, uh, have had a lot of great friendships come out of that. But you know, the families, I think I just give them a little bit of hope, which is, is really just an amazing gift for me, really, right, to be able to step into that role and give family hope, families hope in, in, in such a, you know, challenging time. So, um, and I'm really missing that with COVID. We're, we're trying to do visits electronically, but it's difficult because a lot of the population is older and, and they're not so savvy, tech savvy. So, it, you know, it's, I'm really, really missing that. There's something different with the you know face-to-face person yeah, exactly. interaction. And you 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 mentioned that a lot of the patients are older. Have you come across women or younger women? You know, younger as in our our age women. Um, have you have you met women through the process that have gone through this? I have, and we're a unique little group, <laughs> especially you know in, in within our peer group, right? Um, uh, yeah, we see, we have sought each other out. We've had lunches together and, you know, gotten together for Christmases and that sort of thing. So it is a unique little bond that we kind of have in this area. Um, and all of the stories are so different, you know, some people have had blockages, some people have had heart attacks, some people have had, you know, major events. Uh, you know, I, I consider my event to be major, um, Really though, any anytime anybody who's had their heart tinkered with, it's major, it's major. And um, you know, there's, it's funny cause I, I, we used to joke in cardiac rehab cause people would kind of pull rank, right? Like, you know, you had a blockage. Oh yeah, well I had two, well I had three. Well, you, you know, like you kind of pull rank a little bit, you know? So it's just funny um, how that happens. I feel like everything in the DC area is like a competition. <laughs> right, right. Well, and then maybe that's one up, one up. One up. <laughs> right, right, right. And so maybe my my athletic background kind of catered to that as well. But um, and so Lisa, you you talked about um, what I've done with yoga. So let me just backtrack a little bit. I have been teaching yoga um, at this point for about fifteen years, and um, as I mentioned before. The, during the time period when I had my event, I had been teaching about 15, 17 classes a week, you know, at various gyms, clubs, country clubs, YMCA's, church centers, and, and you know, you name it, I did it, people's basements, that sort of thing. I just really loved it. It was my passion. So I had this event, and, you know, for the first year, I was deer in the headlights, you know, just scared and processing it and actually went through therapy and, and um, was you know, working on gaining skills to kind of deal with this all, right? It was uncharted territory for me. And as I've shared, and as we've talked about, everything shifted, right? My body looked different. Medications were making my body look and feel different, right? I was very thin as I came out of surgery, obviously being, you know, in the ICU for 18 days, any muscle tone I had atrophied, um, any type of endurance that I had went out the window. So I was really, you know, starting at ground zero again with, with building all that strength up again. But I was able to, uh, so I, I think it was Jean Marie actually, who runs the cardiac rehab program at Suburban. I think she put the bug in my ear that there was 
a cardiac yoga program, a certification program that uh, was being offered at UVA. And I waited for about a year. Like I looked into it and I thought, oh, this is interesting. It would be really kind of interesting to kind of take my yoga, which was my passion. Um, and this event that happened to me, I felt like it would be a really um, beautiful way to kind of merge it all. I, and I felt like it'd be really selfishly, maybe I felt like it would really um, bring some healing to myself, like emotionally, right? I would, I could still serve in that role as a yoga instructor and encourage people on their, on their health walk, if you will. Um, and, uh, and also gain the benefits of sort of re- discovering what yoga is all about, both physically, emotionally, and spiritually. So I did apply for the program. It's offered through, um, in conjunction with, there's a woman at the University of Virginia. Uh, she's a PhD and she developed the program with Dr. Dean Ornish, who you all have maybe heard of. Uh, so the program has been ex in existence for a long time. And I went through the certification with her and it was great. It was really, really great. And actually, I've gone on to assistant teach um, as she's had other groups come through. Again, I think it's a pretty valuable tool to have me because I can talk to them about what it feels like. You know, again, it's just really a unique niche that I can fill to these instructors. And we just wrapped up a couple weeks ago. We had, um, of course, it was all over Zoom, but we had cardiologists from Japan. We had... Um, people that run a wellness center in Nigeria. We had a lot of um, cardiac rehab instructors. So, you know, it's just interesting to share the story in the hopes that they're going to kind of grab these nuggets to help heart patients. And so I completed the program. I'm actually on the faculty now. So that happened just this last go around. So I, I'm thrilled to be a part of that and, and just to be affiliated with it. So I went on to, uh, I got the certification and I started teaching at the hospital at Suburban just once a week. We had a really decent following and then our group got uh, too large and the space got too constricted at the hospital because there was construction going on. So we got kicked off to a rec center and then of course COVID hit. So we took a break for a little bit, but then I thought we can do this. We can zoom this. And so I'm zooming it and now I'm doing it twice a week. I do it Monday nights and Thursday nights. I have over 30 people a week, which I think is amazing um, for heart patients, especially as I mentioned before that age group, the niche. And um, it feels great. It feels great to, you know, so much of what I think cardiac rehab is so great about is creating community, right? And again, it doesn't matter how old the people are around you. Like there's a common playing field that we all have had this event happen. And um, I tell people, I've told people this for years since we started the program and got it ramped up again at Suburban. It really is the highlight of my week. It really is the highlight of my week. And, you know, it's, it's just wonderful. I mean, you guys are both coaches, right? So I'm sort of a coach as well. And you guys are coaching, not just physically, but you're, hopefully you're coaching you know, nutrition and, and, and relaxation and meditation. And that's exactly what heart patients need, right? They need to know how to do all that. And they need to feel like it's cool to know how to do all that. Right. And especially in COVID, I mean, we laugh and we giggle and we bonded. And I just, again, I'm so grateful to be able to be in a position to fill this niche that I know these people need. So I'm just really grateful for the opportunity for that. 
What a gift that you've given to patients. And as you mentioned earlier, I think, I think your karma is good. I think, I think you're, <laughs> you've done that well, but um, this happened over six years ago. Um, if you could go back and tell yourself the weeks and months after your cardiac event and give yourself some advice, what would that advice be? Wow. My advice would be, that is an excellent question. That's an excellent question. I think, you know, and I tell this to, to patients all the time to be a patient patient, really. Just be a patient patient. You, you can't, you, you have to let go of things you can't control. If your blood's not going to clot on a particular day, it's not going to clot. You know, if your heart rate is fluttering, it's going to flutter. You have to really learn to let go of things you can't control. And also just being really uh, mindful and intuitive of what your body's limitations are at any given moment. Well, capabilities and limitations. Um, but I know that's just sort of uh, short and sweet, but I think to be a patient, patient, because um, you do get antsy, you know, you, there, there's a reason why a lot of type A people end up with cardiac disease, right? There's a reason for that. Um, unless you have something genetic, right? And, and, uh, but there's a reason. And, and a lot of the people that I serve in the cardiac yoga class, you can tell that they come from sort of this DC world of high powered jobs and stress. And, you know, there's a reason why that they've ended, they've ended up as heart patients, in my opinion. It makes sense um, that you said to be a patient patient, because we can relate to that because while certainly on a much <clears throat> more minor scale, not a cardiac event, but when our runners or ourselves get injured, we often say, try to get a PR, a personal best in your recovery and think of that as your athletic endeavor. Mm -hmm. And similarly being a patient patient is putting all of your type A willpower and determination into being the best patient patient you can be. I think that's excellent advice. Uh, one more question about your advice would be, what advice would you give to friends and family supporting a cardiac patient? Yeah, uh, that's a tough one. It is very, very difficult to, to be the caregiver. And I would encourage caregivers, especially, you know, I, I would encourage caregivers to make sure that they're taking care of themselves, right? And we've heard this, especially as mothers, right? We can't really take care of others if we're not taking care of ourselves. So that involves sleeping, that involves getting a break from the person that you were caring for, that involves trusting the medical community and the procedures in place, that involves, um, you know, trusting the medications, all being mindful and watchful. But, um, you know, even now in the work that I, in, in the career work that I do, uh, I work for a, a neurosurgeon a neurosurgical group in the area and you know the, the caregivers it's they get exhausted right and and they they just have I would say to the caregivers they just have to step back and, and practice self-care I guess really is what I'm saying you know take a break step out hard to do right now with COVID though right I mean everybody's so afraid to to take a break. It's been really challenging, as you guys know. Well, and like you said, too, we don't have that, um, <laughs> that network that we are, that, that support network necessarily in person that really, while we can do it through Zoom and phone, um, it's not quite the same as having your community support you. And think about, you know, if you had gone through what you went through, 
um, six years ago now and not having that family in the hospital with you or not having that, you know, when you were talking about your family being there and thinking now about patients who can't right. have that, that's got to be such a, such a challenge. But I think your advice of being a patient patient and for those taking care to, to practice self-care um, really applies in any challenging situation and control that we always say control the controllables. Yeah. And you said there are certain things that you can't control and that are going to happen and you have to then um, really just uh, be patient and, and control the controllables and practice self-care. Mm -hmm. I think that's advice that not only applies to those going through cardiac events and rehab, but to, to anybody and especially during these mm -hmm. times. So um, we have so loved talking to you, Karen. And <laughs> like I said, I have known you, but didn't know, you know, we really, um, you know, I didn't know your story uh, and, um, you're you're really we don't use the word inspiration lightly but you are an inspiration you. and you're really a role model for um for for looking at what you you know controlling the controllables being patient with yourself being kind to yourself practicing grace um and putting good karma out there too which which you do so well and the other thing i would add if i could just add uh, sort of one thing also that's kind of been something i shout from the rooftops is to know your family history right know what's happening in your family and don't deny it. Don't stick your head in the sand, right? If you've got breast cancer, you're going to have your mammograms. If there's any inkling, I mean, just, just know your family history. Don't be afraid to know what it is and don't be afraid to stay on top of it. Um, you know, my event may, may, again, my event ended extremely well, extremely well. Uh, could it have been prevented? I don't know. Probably not. It was going to probably happen at some point. Um, and it could have ended up very differently. I was super lucky, but um, this, you know, I mentioned my three brothers were all diagnosed with aneurysms and two went on to have open heart surgery. So I'm a big believer in sort of nipping things in the bud in terms of your health, staying on top of your scans, your screenings, your appointments. Physicians are doing loads of telemed appointments now, you know, stay on top of it. We only get, your health is really a gift, right? It's a gift. And when your health starts to become compromised, life becomes challenging and, and you do lose control. You, you can't. So, you know, just really know that every day that you're in good health is a blessing and it's a gift, really. That's great. Great advice. And, and listen to your body. You were in tune to your body that day. You knew something was not right. And, um, you know, like you said, kind of your experience as an athlete and knowing your body really helped too. So all amazing advice. Um, we know that it's going to really help a lot of our listeners, no matter what their circumstances. So um, we really appreciate your time so much and um, can't wait to see you in person once we're all back. And, uh, and, you know, maybe have you come work with our runners and do some yoga with our runners. We I would, would love that. Love I would love that. that. Yeah. Well, thank you for including me and thinking of me and um, enjoy your runs. I mean, what a great sport to have right now during this time, right? Just we are fortunate. That's a good Yes. Exactly. Exactly. But thank you so much, you guys. Thanks, Thank Karen. you, Karen. It was a pleasure. Thank you. Bye. Wow. What an uplifting conversation with Karen. Before we hear from Jean Marie Gallagher, the manager of cardiac rehabilitation at Suburban Hospital, where Karen did her own rehab, we wanted to take a quick break to give a shout out to our newest partner and sponsor, UFOs. If you've listened to our podcast or followed our social media for a while, you know we're huge fans of UFOs footwear. 
and have experienced firsthand the benefits of this recovery for our feet and really entire lower body. I first discovered UFOs when I had a bout with plantar fasciitis two weeks before the Marine Corps Marathon 50K in 2019 on the recommendation of a friend who told me that they were the only shoe that helped relieve her plantar fasciitis pain. She was right. And especially now, as we're spending more time at home, often barefoot, we're finding that more and more runners are experiencing pain not related to running, but to lack of supportive footwear, particularly after a run. And while most performance footwear utilizes reactive foams, which help with performance, UFOs do the opposite. Their foam absorbs more impact than traditional footwear, and their patented footbed reduces stress on ankles, knees, hips, and lower back. We've loved the new boot and booties line for the winter. Stay tuned to our podcast and social media channels this month for a chance to win a pair of UFOs. And in the meantime, check them out now on their website at UFOs, that's O-O-F-O-S dot com. Now we turn it over to Jean Marie Gallagher. Welcome Jean Marie Gallagher to the Run Farther and Faster podcast. We're so happy to have you. We have um, known you and heard your name through for a few years because um, in 2019, we interviewed Rod Vieira, who is a fellow runner who um, started his running in, in, your, in your clinic. You are the manager of cardiac rehab at the, um, at the uh, Cardiac Rehabilitation Center at Suburban Hospital in Bethesda, Maryland, which is near us. And so we um, had, had you know, heard about you and we know about you and um, Rod sings your praises as the one who helped him really get to where he, he is now, which is marathon running and a fellow Boston marathon runner. Um, and, and it's Heart Health Month. So we reached out to you because we wanted to talk to somebody else who has gone through um, uh, heart disease and cardiac rehab, who's young and active. And you referred us to Karen Bertozzi and we just had a great conversation with her, but we wanted to get to talk to you and, and um, you know, really get to know the name behind what, who everyone's <laughs> raving about that's helping them get back to their, to their active selves. So tell us just a little bit about you, your background, you have a running background and, and how you got to where you are today. So yeah, I always grew up an athlete, but in athletics, my special, you know, my strength always was running. So I was a soccer athlete and a lot of soccer athletes turn into middle distance runners. And that's what I ended up doing. Um, so I ran the 800, 1500 uh, on many four by eights and distance relays um, in high school and both in college. So I ran for Virginia Tech uh, and was able to I, at, during that time at Virginia Tech, I, my father was an FBI agent for his career, so we moved around and got transferred to New Orleans. So I was in my sophomore year at Virginia Tech competing in athletics, and we actually ran down at Tulane for our last track meet. And then I ran a road race shortly after getting back and in, in New Orleans, and I won the road race for females. It was a very small road race, <laughs> but... As I was running, I heard, oh, here comes the first female. I'm like, oh, I better really run this thing. <laughs> so I finished it. Um, and a gentleman who owned a cardiac rehab center saw me and heard my story. And he approached me and said, hey, I just heard your story. You're a Virginia Tech athlete. I own a cardiac rehab center right outside New Orleans. Would you like to, to have a summer job? Of course, what college student is not going to say yes to a summer job? I knew nobody. You know, kid just came from Blacksburg to New Orleans. And I changed my major that summer. So I wasn't able, unfortunately, to continue the running because I had to do 18 credits per semester and it was just too much. 
And as we know, as track athletes, it's just the schedule's grueling. You're doing before, you're doing out, you know, you're doing morning runs or strength work. And at three to seven, my schedule would have been blocked and I just never would have graduated. So, um, but I did, you know, obviously continue running beyond that. But that's how I started the cardiac rehab. It all started with red beans and rice road race. So um, I fell in love with it and it just was a perfect blend. I do have family history of heart issues. Uh, you know, my father is on blood pressure, cholesterol medication. So it's something we watch out for. His father died at age 47. So that's sudden death. Um, and it's usually something either a, you know, it could be a stroke, it could be a, an aneurysm or a heart attack. And he was your typical Irishman off the boat from Ireland and drank and smoked. So that was obviously part of it, but it's also important. That's a conversation I have with every physician. So heart issues do run in my family. So I did, um, you know, that's something that kind of coupled both my passion for athletics and running with the, uh, and then coming from a family of civil service, everybody does something giving back. Um, so that's those, those things all together. Before we delve into the heart specific <laughs> issues of your story, what's really, um, neat about it is that you're actually the second interviewee we've had where someone approached them while running and basically changed their life. Um, Lisa, you remember the other one, it was Matt Wolpers. He was out running and an adult approached him and changed his life. And so um, to those listening who most of whom are adults, full fledged adults like us, remember what we can do to change someone's trajectory so easily. So that's, that's an incredible story. So um, yes. I just wanted to comment on that. Keep going. Yeah, no, it was, it was kind of neat because a couple of years ago, I was able to go back to New Orleans for a work conference, a professional conference and see and say, and, you know, he was just blown away. He's like, wow, you know, 20 plus years later, your manager at Johns Hopkins, you know, it was pretty cool. Um, and he, and, and I was like, it was all because of you. If I, you hadn't approached me at Red Beans and Rice, I wouldn't be here. So, um, you know, that was, it was nice to be able to give back to that. But that's not only wouldn't you not be here, but you wouldn't have had the impact on so many lives that, that you have. So so now yeah. you're at Suburban, which is part of Johns Hopkins. Yes. And um, tell us a little bit about the rehab center there. You know, how many people do you see? What is it? You know, who do you see? What what is it? What is it like there? Well, pre-pandemic and post-pandemic. So right now it's a little different. But now we have um, in the program, we would typically see between 55, 75 uh, patients per day that were in the immediate post procedure or, um, you know, heart event after the hospitalization. And then we had over 200 patients that were in our, what we call maintenance program. And they would come and just use us like a gym once they completed the immediate after hospitalization program. So it's, uh, you know, we have it in phases. Phase two is right after the hospital and phase three is kind of the continuing phase. So we have a very active program, um, a very busy program in the area. Unfortunately, with the pandemic, it's much changed. Um, and, uh, you know, combination of people's fear of being in a hospital as well as, you know, just the spacing and regulations, we have to keep it, you know, we're only seeing eight people per class where we were seeing up to 25 before. So it's just, that's that's much different, different in the atmosphere. But, um, you know, we do a very multidiscipline approach. So from the beginning, this program has been that way. So it was built with having a dietitian, having a counselor. Uh, so we were kind of at the forefront of that because that's really just come into play in the past few years that those, those professionals are part of programs. 
Um, but that's, you know, so the, so the patients really can understand because this is such a complicated disease process, you know, blood pressure, cholesterol, diabetes, stress, which is a huge one today, um, you know, weight, all those things can impact your risk for heart disease. So having all those professionals at your fingertips um, is, you know, our patients find quite beneficial that they can sit down with a dietitian, registered dietitian that's clinically trained and go through, here's my medications, here's the foods I've been eating, and they can tweak it from there. You know, and as stress, you know, anxiety, panic, you know, post-traumatic stress, all those things are quite normal after a heart event. It's, it's your heart. It's your, it's what makes you live and breathe. It's your ticker. So it's something that is very scary for individuals. So having all those elements, we have clinical exercise physiologists in the, in the program too, as well, as well as an RN. So they have all those professionals. And then we have a, a cardiologist who's our medical director. We have his reference. We always have several cardiologists here every day. And then we have the cardiothoracic surgeons that are right across the hallway. So we have all the resources. That's the one thing about Hopkins. It's a very collaborative atmosphere, especially here at Suburban. Um, it's the most collaborative atmosphere I've ever worked in. So having all those professionals, you know, really working together as a team, uh, communication pathways are always open and it's really for the right thing for the patient. Wow, that's, that's phenomenal. And how, I mean, we're going to, I would imagine that most of the patients you see are older and sedentary, but maybe that's an assumption that I'm making, but, but what, what does your demographic look like and, and what percentage or not in numbers, but do you see athletes, younger athletes like Karen, like Rod that come yeah. in um, and, you know, have had a unexpected heart, um, heart disease. And um, do you see that demographic? So it's interesting because we've kind of had the both bookends is where it's grown. So we have the younger population. I've seen as young as 18 with a heart attack and stent placement. Um, and then, you know, and then we have on the older uh, population we're seeing with like TAVR type procedures that are replacing the valve without having to do open heart surgery. So we're seeing, you know, a growth in the 80s and 90s. And then we're also seeing a growth. So the Average hasn't changed, but the span of ages has changed. Unfortunately, since the pandemic, we have seen more 30 and early 40 year olds with heart, with heart issues. So I think the stress of this year has definitely accelerated the process for people, um, you know, because these people that are coming in are dealing with a lot of family stress, uh, work stress that is, you know, at a whole different level than it was pre-pandemic. Are you seeing uh, so any post-COVID patients that are having her? Yeah, but that's something that we are prepping and anticipating. That's interesting. So that's uh, most of the post-COVID are looking more at the pulmonary rehab side um, right now that I've had, you know, encounters with. But, um, you know, this is so fresh and new that the long-term effects we really don't know yet. So let us ask you this um, because you touched on it and it's it's very relevant to anyone listening. We, we understand you're not a physician, but you're seeing patterns, you said, with people who are in their 30s and 40s having heart events during this stressful time. What advice would you give people, if you have any, to prevent that from happening? You have to find balance. And I, I was uh, talking to Lisa before we started. I am in my I'm working in healthcare, I'm in my executive MBA program, and I'm working full time, you know, during a pandemic. And even during that, I had to find balance. You have to make sure you're getting your sleep. 
you have to make sure you're eating properly. You have to make sure that you are getting the exercise uh, that you need and making sure you're taking time for yourself. Um, it's, you know, it's a challenge. You know, I definitely have become a very high level time management, but you have to ensure that you're doing those things. Uh, because if you don't, those chronic things over time are going to impact your health. If you don't get the sleep and the rest that you need, if you're not doing the exercise that you need, you know, and, you know, definitely I haven't been as diligent on the exercise as I normally would be in, in this situation, but it's, it's still there. I'm still getting them, you know, at least getting that minimal um, and making sure I'm doing that and doing more things like yoga, you know, <laughs> and things that will help with the stress as well and the, you know, anxiety of all of it. So really just take those, those elements of taking care, eating right, exercising, getting your rest. I mean, those things are crucial for your health. That's really important. And for the, for the patients you see coming in, like Karen, um, Rod was a little bit different because he didn't have an athletic background. He became athletic after, which was really interesting to see. But for those that come in, um, like Karen, we were talking before we um, started recording a little bit about this. What, what is your challenge or what do you see as a benefit? What, what are the unique um, aspects of, of people who have athletic backgrounds that are coming into cardiac rehab that you, um, that you see when, you are, when they are going through the rehab process? So it's a humbling experience for them. So they you know, are coming from you know, an athletic background. I even had a uh, triathlete came to us because their first workout, they passed out and they thought they could do it on their own and passed out. And I you know, didn't really understand the impact of the surgery and what it does. Uh, so that came to us and really lived further away. So didn't do a full program with us, but really just got that starting point. So really knowing their limitations and, you know, that limitation as you're in the recovery, you know, we really can give them that feedback as to, you know, don't go above this heart rate because at this heart rate, we start to see some irritability in the monitoring or, or you know, inappropriate blood pressure response, you know, keep it below this, even though you feel okay, your heart's telling us something different. So, you know, those that sort of feedback is really the benefit of a program like this. Um, but that's that's really pulling the reins because you know they remember what they were, but they have to remember that the, their heart went through a massive trauma and it does need time to recover from that trauma. And it's not like it bounces back right away. If they have open heart surgery, people never recognize that, you know, I had open heart surgery and it takes a while to build up in the, from the anemia, just from having surgery itself and getting that energy level back. It takes time. Um, and time is the only thing that will really heal. You just got to give your body some time to do that. You can get back to it. It's just, you have to tailor it, um, you know, and gradually do it and not try to do too much too soon and listening to your body. I mean, that's just common sense, um, but it's something that all of us are very stubborn with, you know, and um, just making sure that when your body gives you those signals, just like with overtraining, you know, your resting heart rate goes up, you know, you're not sleeping as well. Um, you notice those type of stressors, uh, maybe your appetite changes, things like that, that would normally happen if you were overtraining too. So it's just your body will give you those signals. You just got to listen to it. It's um, simply what Karen said yesterday in our interview with her, which is be a patient patient. And we yeah. really like that phrase. Um, we would imagine though, when you do specifically work with athletes who are going through this, they're so motivated. You, like you mentioned, you have to hold them back, but at the same time, do you see a pattern where their fitness actually allows them once they are, their heart is recovered, allows them to exceed your expectations? 
yeah, you, they usually can get back or, you know, somebody like Rodney can turn around and, and turn into an athlete. So, um, but it's just a matter of doing it. And what the main focus that we do is how to exercise smart, because there is a lot of research out there now is, you know, is there too much exercise? And yes, have we quantified that yet? No, but we do see, you know, an ultra, and you think about when folks are exercising in their twenties and their thirties and their forties and their fifties and their sixties at these, you know, high level, higher level intensity exercise and longer duration exercise, what's the chronic damage that could be done from that? And that we're, you know, we're really kind of fine tuning and finding what elements could be a part of that. Um, but, you know, again, it hasn't been all, you know, it's been smaller studies. It hasn't had long to longitudinal studies yet, but it, it, we are, that's something that we are seeing more and more um, of. A lot more on the pulmonary side and right-sided heart failure um, has been researched a bunch, but that's something that you're seeing more and more popular because, you know, 80s, 70s, 80s is when this, this all became popular. So now these people have been exercising for decades and what's the impact of that? So there, it, there is, when it comes to exercise, it really is about a balance. So that's something I've had to learn because I came from the generation of the more mileage, the better, and let's train the heck out of you. Let's run, 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 run. Um, and that's not always a good thing. <laughs> so it's, you know, finding that balance where you are getting the strength and the flexibility and the cardiovascular and, and really balancing. And you've seen it, even in marathon programs over the years used to be, you know, running every day of the week. And now it's maybe running three or four days a week in a marathon program and doing some cross training and really just doing those long weekend runs, you know, so all that's, more quality and being more smart, smart about your exercise. It's a fine line between conditioning and compromising. I always tell the patients. You mentioned before that you have, um, you know, counselors on on staff there, and I know we were talking about this a little bit before too. The kind of the psychological um, impact of 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 going through um, a heart event. Um, tell us just a little bit about how um, you know that side of the equation. The the PTSD, the, um, you know, the fear, Karen talked about kind of the fear of something happening. Um, tell us a little bit about how you see, um, particularly athletes, like Karen said, she had been so used to being active and then it was hard to, you know, she wanted to be active, but she was worried about it and people around her were worried about it. So how do you, you know, how do you address that and how do the counselors address kind of that psychological side? So addressing it early on too is important. So like with Karen, when she called, it was like two days before Christmas. And she's like, I just got cleared. I'm like, come in tomorrow. <laughs> We're close the day after because it's Christmas Eve, but come in tomorrow. We're going to get you going. Cause I, you know, I already had known her story from being up. She was upstairs in our, in, in our hospital. So we see them as after their procedure, we talk to them while they're in the hospital bed. So we already knew what was, you know, the, the story there. So, yeah, I mean, it's definitely, it's life altering for somebody that is at the peak of their life and they have their career and they have their children and, you know, they're worried. And then it's the guilt that, you know, how could I have done this to my family? You know, how come, you know, was I, you know, responsible for this? I think Rod talked a lot about that, um, that, you know, putting his family through that trauma. So it's, you know, there's a lot of different factors that come into play with it, but it's, you know, it can be anything from, as you said, it can be post-traumatic, it can be panic attacks, it can be anxiety, it can just be situational depression related to the event, or maybe there was also, you know, something before that just got exacerbated too as well. 
um, you know, mental illness is something that's, you know, much more common and especially in this past year that we've seen. So just making sure people are addressing it, taking care of themselves um, is crucial. But the counseling is a huge part of it. You know, that individual one-on-one -on -one where she can tailor to the individual what their needs are. And if they need further, you know, care or more advanced care, she can also facilitate that too as well. That's great. Well, we really appreciate all of your insight. And again, we've heard so much about you and you're like kind of the, the Oz behind the, the curtain for all of, um, you know, the athletes that we've talked to that have, that have gone through this process with you. So uh, we really appreciate you taking the time today to talk to us and um, to work with all those patients that may or may not be athletes, maybe they're potential future athletes and are inspired by their experience to, to get fit and take care of their bodies. But um, you raise a lot of really good points about listening to our bodies and um, you know moderation and um, paying attention to family history and all of that, that um, you know, that, and, and the stress, you know, really never underestimating how much the stress that um, all of us are under, especially in the last year can impact our heart health. So um, that's all super helpful advice. Um, hopefully none of us will see you in cardiac rehab, but maybe out on the roads on a, on a, in a local race when we get back out. Um, but really we appreciate your time and all of the energy and you are amazing. Everything you do, um, like you said, you're in healthcare right now during a pandemic, working full-time you know, trying to juggle uh, running a clinic on, on COVID protocols and getting your executive MBA. So <laughs> you are incredible and a great example of that balance and, um, try, you know, figuring it out even with all that stuff on your plate. So, so thank you so much and thanks for everything you do. Thank you. You're welcome. Have a great day. Thank you so much for listening to the Run Farther and Faster Boston Marathon podcast. We want to give a special thanks to our editor, Aaron Bryan. And if you enjoyed this episode and enjoy listening to our podcast, please share it with others and please leave a review if you haven't done so already on iTunes. Thanks for listening and have a great week.